I'm going to go ahead and start us off. Okay, this is our weekly Bible study uh, for, I believe it's 10-9-06 in October 2006. And uh, I was just I was just wanting to relate a story. Um, we were joking about uh, Doug wearing a, what was it, a usher pin? Yeah, and I was going to wear a clergy pin, but I, the, the worst I've ever seen... I was driving one time. I've seen this guy around town several times, and it's and it's a guy, and he's got clergy. Uh, he drives a truck, and he and he and he has this little clergy sticker. I don't know if you've ever seen him, right behind, like on his driver's side where he's sitting, and he's also has a gay, also a gay uh, flag sticker there too. So he's got the clergy and the gay flag sticker. Now, if you see that, you almost know you're dealing with a Unitarian. Because the Unitarians are almost all gay clergy. I don't know if you knew that. Oh yeah, they're, they're the most, of all pseudo-Christian denominations, they're probably the most liberal by far. I mean, you go, anything stinking goes there. You know, come one, come all, we love all. And, and what it is, is, it, is, it's, a, is it's, it's their way of trying to blend uh, a pseudo-Christian faith with doing whatever they want to do, and, and, and living like the devil, and it's all okay, you know. I remember there was a guy, that, um, <clears throat> man named Tom, that was, uh, <clears throat> I don't think I've ever told this story, he, uh, um, he was a friend of our family, and Tom was kind of like an entrepreneur. He, he, he did very well uh, monetarily and uh, was kind of a guy who had a lot of pride in him. And uh, he uh, he got in a really, really bad... It wasn't a car accident, I guess you'd say. There, there are these things that are called things. Have you ever seen them? They're, they're, it's like a, a derivative of a, a Volkswagen. It makes this thing. It's called a thing. In fact, when I was a small child, we went down to Mexico, to Cancun, and that was the only car you could rent. You could not rent any other car but a thing, okay? And it's like a, kind of like a Volkswagen Jeep. You can imagine what that would look like, okay? They're called a thing. That's what they call them. Real weird. They, you hardly ever see them in America. And, but down there is all you could rent. But he had one of those. He had it out in this place called the Yucapin. Where I, where I live here, and evidently he was driving around or whatever, and he flipped it, and he flipped it, and it landed on his head. Crushed his skull. He lived. He was in a coma for like two or three months. And then when he came out of it, I mean, he was, he was basically almost retarded. You know, I mean, but he was a lot nicer now. Um, to be honest with you, I thought. And I had just got out of... Uh, uh, my marriage, uh, the Lord had led me out of that, and, um, sorry, had to kill that bug, um, and, um, what ended up happening is, I think Tom came to see me for chiropractic, and I started treating him, and I was witnessing to him, man, I, uh, I witnessed to that guy, probably about more, as much as I've ever witnessed to anybody in my life. And, I mean, it was like one of those things where it was like, he definitely had the humility to get saved. 
There's, it was there, whereas it was would never have been before, because he was Mr. You know, Mr. Businessman making the millions. Now it wasn't that way. He was humbled. Now, I view that as, okay, it's God using this, this to humble him to, um, so he's going to get saved, okay? And, oh, man, I don't know how many times I witnessed to that guy. And it was so easy to witness to him because <clears throat> the pride issue wasn't there, and it's much easier to witness to somebody where the pride issue isn't so evident as opposed to somebody who thinks they've got it all figured out and they're the big man on campus and you can't tell them nothing, you know? Well, nevertheless, we weren't, I were, well, I, I just leave it in the Lord's hands, but I was never able to actually lead him to the Lord. It was always like this close, you know? And he, I think the, one of the biggest problems was is he had already got tied up in this Unitarian church. Well, they accept me as I am, and, and hey, that's great. You, you, you should accept them as they are, but... Not at the expense of living like the devil. Not to say that Tom was really living like the devil, either. Because he really wasn't. Um, it was a really sad situation. And then he started getting cancer, on top of that. And so he was, you know, brain damaged, and now he's getting cancer. Getting that cut out all the time, and, and it was never ending. And he just actually... Uh, uh, passed away about a month ago. This, this has been years. This was going on years, and um, but I, as far as I know, he was in that Unitarian church all the way up to the end. But it's a powerful pull if you get in that church because they're so accepting of anything, and oh, they you know they view that the the whole thing. Oh, they, I felt such love when I went there, and all this other junk, you know. But it was it was love apart from biblical. Standards. And that's what you run into a lot with, with the Unitarians. And, and gay clergy are very, very, very common in those Unitarian churches. They're, they're, they're straight from the pit of hell. And they've been around for a long, they've been around since the 1800s, I believe, the Unitarian churches. It's not some new cult thing that just popped up. They've been around for a long time. It was probably one of the first real super liberal denominations. They were even liberal back then. They, they, they've never stood for, for anything, really, other than their own lukewarm agenda. So anyway, I just, I don't know, I just thought I'd bring that up, a little educational thing there. Um, I'm going to go over a few current events first, and um, then we'll get into the, we'll continue our lessons in Romans. Uh, this is an article that appeared in Chick, which is, can we still call them men of peace? Now this is this whole thing about the Islam thing. And every time I get a chance, I expose that scum religion for what it is. Because it is a religion straight from the pit of hell. And it's one of the, it's one of the religions, I guess, that angers me more than any of the other religions. Because I'm so sick and stinking sick of hearing how peaceful this religion is. And every time something doesn't just quite go their way, their response is, well, let's just kill everybody. And yet they're a religion of peace. Um says, the latest foil plot by Islamic fascists to blow up a bunch of airliners has shocked the world while Western leaders are still trying to sort out Islam's seeming double face. It's not a seeming double face. They're evil, period. Okay? Because the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. Well, their fruit, I mean, you don't have to have a whole lot of brains in your head to figure out that this is one nasty religion. Some say that the peaceful Islam that 
peaceful Islam has been hijacked by extremists of right. But there is a deafening silence from the moderate Muslim leaders when the extremists succeed in massacring a few thousand infidels. Israel has patiently endured hundreds of suicide bombers who specifically target innocent men and women and children. They watch with increasing concern while the extremists hijacked one of Israel's neighbors and targeted 12,000 deadly missiles their direction. When Israel decided it had to strike back, while it could, the moderates called for an immediate ceasefire before the threat was eliminated. See, the moderates are in the middle. The moderate Islam people are in the middle. They're, well, they, they don't quite agree with all the, the suicide bombings going on, but they're not going to really try to stop it either. And yet, if anybody tries to stop their suicide bombing or, or do, go against them, then they'll speak up. That's how this stinking religion works. And it's okay for all the, the, the Muslims to pour in with their suicide bombers with, with bombs strapped to themselves to go into, into Jerusalem and blow themselves up. That's okay. Okay? Or for, or, or for them to, to um, you know, fire missiles into there and just try every single thing they could do. That's alright. But when Israel starts to retaliate, then you see here this big outcry, oh, Israel's terrible and they're this and that. Well, wouldn't you want to defend yourself if somebody's trying to break into your house? I mean, it's ridiculous, the double standard that's set here in the press particularly. Um, no doubt there are different factions within Islam, just as there are in the church. However, extremists in the church are usually marginalized and ineffective. They do not receive wide support so they could threaten world peace. In Islam, whole nations support the fanatics who are bent on converting the world. See, the fanatics are the ones that are actually adhering to their holy their unholy book called the Quran. See, the fanatics are the ones that are really doing it the right way. Because if the truth be known, if, if they really were being good, true Muslims to their faith, they would be going by the Quran, just like a Bible-believing Christian is supposed to go by the Bible. Well, they're not doing that. The fanatics are the only ones that are adhering to the Quran. Why do I say that? Because in the Quran, and we're going to see this in a second, it basically says if, if that they are supposed to slay the infidel. An infidel in Islam is anybody who is not a Muslim. They're supposed to kill us. That is in their religious tenets. So how could you ever say this is some kind of religion of peace? They're being, here's the difference, they're being fundamental to their faith. They're, they're fundamentalists. At least they're doing it right. The other ones are just pretenders. But they're the ones that, that kind of try to smooth everything over. The moderates, you know. Um... The moderate nations are strangely, strangely slow to condemn the 911 whores. Of course, 911 is, is a whole other, whole other subject we can talk about. It is difficult to say that Islam is a peaceful religion when the news reports day after day are filled with carnage created by those who praise Allah. Now, what Allah is, is He is the moon god. He is not God the Father, as they would, would portray it to be. He's the moon god. Um, what happened is, is when Muhammad finally started the Muslim faith, there was this um, uh, big, there's this big black square building, and you might have seen it, that, that the Muslims march around, I think it's in Mecca, it's a big black square, okay, thousands and thousands and thousands gathered there to march around it, they're all dressed in white, this is a big black square, in the middle of a, of a big thing in this, I think it's Mecca. <laughs> And I forget the name of it, but it's like the most—it's—it's no, it's the most holy site of all of Islam. 
The third most holy site of all of Islam is in Jerusalem. The, it's like the Alisk Dome on the Rock, which is the, where the Temple Mount is. Now, the devil did that on purpose. He put that on there. It's got to go, because we know the Temple's going to be rebuilt. Okay? Now, granted, I don't agree with them rebuilding the Temple so they can initiate the sacrificial system again, but the Bible says it's going to happen, so there's there not a whole lot we can do about it. You can't, as far as Christ looking down on that thing, he knew it was going to happen. It's grievous to him, obviously. I mean, if they're going to initiate temple sacrifice again, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth, and this is a mockery at this point because he was the better covenant, okay? So, but anyway, we know it's got to happen. That dome on the rock's got to go. It's the third most holy site in Islam. And that's the reason that the Muslims are supposedly so obsessed with Jerusalem. But I also think Satan put that in their hearts too. Because Satan's always trying to get in the middle of what God's trying to do. He's always trying to thwart it. So, in, the, in this black building in Mecca, this big black square building, what had, what had happened is... A long, long, long time ago, when Muhammad, the guy that started the, the religion of Islam, was here, he went into that black building and there was all these hundreds of idols. And what he did is, is he destroyed every single idol but one. One. And that was a picture of this idol, and it had a crescent moon in it with a star, and that was the, this was the moon god, Allah. Okay? That's the devil they worship. That's what Allah is. That's all it is. It's a devil. Okay? I'm sure a very powerful devil, but a devil nonetheless. I'm sure it's like a fallen angel. So, the, uh, there's a new chick track out called Men of Peace. It points out that when you compare the teachings of Islam and the behavior of the terrorists, they are not bad Muslims at all, but they're really good Muslims. Okay? In religion, goodness is defined by the religion's book. In this case, the Quran. Therefore, anyone who obeys his religious book is not a bad person, but a good person. The basic theme of the Quran is to promote Islamic rule over the entire world. This is the same as the Great Commission in the Bible, except with one variation. Those who will not be persuaded to voluntarily convert to Islam are to be killed, according to... Now, in their book, they've got things called surahs, which would be like a, uh, one of their books. Surah 489, okay, and Surah 533 both say that if, if they don't convert voluntarily, you kill them. You slay the infidel. Of course, the Bible leaves conversion voluntary, reserving the unbeliever to God's judgment. Uh, remember, in, in the Bible, we're going to see that today in Romans, it's the gift of God. It's not, okay, you take this from a blow your head off type of thing. God doesn't kick the door down to your heart. So the Muslim who obeys his book and kills the unbeliever who refuses to convert is a good Muslim. Okay, this is what people you, people don't understand so many times. I hear these people talking on talk shows and they, they, they have no clue. Furthermore, their book grants special pleasures in paradise to the Muslim who martyrs himself in the process of destroying infidels. Now this is in the Surahs 3, 195 and 474. The good Muslim then is he who flies a loaded airliner into a skyscraper full of people. Again, 9-11 was a lie foisted on the American people. There was a lot more to it than what we were told. Um, but that would be an example of that. He has eliminated a bunch of infidels and gained himself a special place in paradise. And the world is scratching its head trying to figure out what's wrong with this picture. 
As soul winners, we must understand the contrast between the gospel and Islamic beliefs. We must be prepared to witness to the Muslim that the God of the Bible loves them and offers them abundant life, free from the twisted doctrines of the Quran. For those who are confused by the strange behavior of the terrorists, we need to help them see that is their, their religious beliefs that prompt their actions. Then we need to show both the Muslim and the unbeliever that the only biblical God is the true creator who loves all sinners and sent Jesus to die in their place that they might have forgiveness of their sins. So, Chick has a lot of really good tracks for Muslims now. They've come out with all kind of ones for Muslims. Uh, probably one of the hardest people you would ever try to convert. Um, but, nonetheless, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Lord can do it. The Lord can do it. But you will typically very rarely see any Muslims converted um, because they're so dogmatic about their belief system. But boy, what a what a what a terrible religion to be in. I mean what a horrific bondage. I mean that that's that that's just one of the nastiest I, I hate that religion. I hate it. I don't hate the people, pray to God they get saved, but man, if there was a religion I hate on this earth, I think it's it's the Islamic faith. Um, it's so, there's so much double standards within it, it's so full of hate, and, um, lies, and deceit, and repression, and evil, and it's, it's just, it's something else. I'm gonna, uh, I got, uh, the Last Trumpet newsletter for, uh, this month, from, um, Last Trumpet Ministries, and, uh, they start off with a couple Bible verses, this is Jeremiah 5:25 through 31. This is an interesting Bible verse, and it reads, "Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you." So, this gets into the fact that our iniquities and our sins actually withhold good things from God from us. Okay. For among my people, it says, my people. Now, in today's day and age, that would be Christians. It would not be Jews as it was back then, but Today, if ye be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, and then heirs of the promise. That's what the Bible says. That's why I have such a problem with the Messianic Jewish movement, because they believe, oh, you got to do all this Messianic Jewish movement to really, you know, to really please God. Well, show me that in the Bible. Um, it says, for, for among my people are found wicked men. Now, that's today and day, in day and age if I've ever heard it. My people are found wicked men. Oh, okay. They lay wait. These are the wicked men. They lay wait as he that set a snares. They set a trap. Now, if you set a snare or a trap, you're going to do it in secret, in quiet. You're going to do it subtly because you're not going to want the prey to know that you're setting a trap for them. They catch men. Okay, so they catch men. This reminds me of the typical TV evangelists. They're doing it very subtly. They're doing it under the guise of being a man of God. But they catch men. Really, what they ultimately end up doing many times is they damn their souls. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses. Whose houses? The wicked men. So are their houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and wax and rich. So it sounds here, it says that when your house is full of deceit, there's a propensity for them to become very great and rich. Well, Satan said to Jesus, he said, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. 
Okay? Now, I'm not saying Jesus Christ didn't defeat Satan on the cross, but he still is our adversary we're battling against. And you'll notice the richest people on earth, i.e., like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds, the heads of the 13 families of the Illuminati, they are the richest people on earth. And they're, and they're generational Luciferian Satanists. Satan still has power to give wealth to who he will. Okay? Not to say that God's not on the throne, but God's let it be this way, and that's, that's, that's up to God. Okay? So, when their houses are full of, full of deceitists, therefore they are be, they're become great and waxen rich. You'd think it'd just be the opposite. But they are. It says that they are. They are waxen fat. They shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. Um, they judge not the cause. So see, they don't, they don't judge the right cause. The cause of the fatherless. They don't judge the cause of the followers. Now, the Bible says true religion is this, that you, that you uh, visit the widows and their affliction and the, and the orphans, uh, the fatherless. You plead their cause. That's, that's what the Bible says in the New Testament. That's true religion. Okay? So, that's really important to God. Widows and orphans. The fatherless. It's super important to God. But these wicked, they judge not the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. The right of the needy, do they not judge? See, it's very important for God to, for us to always judge. It's very important. And this is not judge not lest you be judged. Hypocritical judgment. This is, this is judging, like the Bible says, Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. He who is spiritual judgeth all things. Okay, so you gotta, you gotta discern that one out. So the right of the needy, do they not judge? Shall I not visit? For these things, in other words, isn't the God God's going to visit for these things? He's going to visit them for these things eventually. Saith the Lord, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Now it's a nation. Well, I'd say this nation fits that if I've ever seen a stinking nation fit it, because the 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 Christians in this nation are without a total clue. You know, Taylor, get up. Um. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Hmm, does that sound like America? Oh yeah, well, it's everything's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder. We're just going to bring in the kingdom, dominionist theology. Or, well, the rapture's just going to come and we're not going to go through nothing because we're God's chosen and, and, we're, and we're not going to suffer a thing. Okay. Prophets prophesy falsely. Now, you think of mostly the prophets in America, you would think of in the charismatic movement, which, you know, if you're caught up in that thing, you're going to get deceived. You will get deceived. It's very strong, it's very powerful. If, if you immerse yourself in the charismatic movement, it's very, very hard not to get, not get caught up in it. You cannot lay down with dogs and not get fleas. You can't do it. I don't care how strong you are. You can't. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. So, because these prophets are prophesying falsely, and all you got to do is look at their track record to know they're false, because the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18, it says that the mark of a true prophet is he gets it right 100% of the time. And then it says, do not be afraid of them, and it also says, kill them. So, now, go out and 
you know, get your guns. No, just kidding, just kidding. That was Old Testament. That was Old Testament. But I tell you what, when God starts doing that, because I believe He's going to start doing that, He's going he's gonna to be the one that's taking them down. Hopefully all men will see and fear and declare the work of God, as it talks about in Psalm 64. Um, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. What does that mean? Well, the priests, meaning the clergy or, or the pastors, these things, and I don't mean the Catholic priests, because they're not even Christian, but by what the prophets are prophesying falsely, the priests are bearing rule by their means. In other words, they're going by what the false prophets are saying. That's how they're governing their body. Okay? Oh, prophet so-and-so said this, and he's never been wrong, right, whatever. So we have to do this. See it all the time in charismatic circles. So they're going by... Now the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord in Jeremiah 17, 5, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. So you're cursed when you put your trust in man. It's just the way it is. Okay, You don't want to ever do that. Man will always fail you if you put your trust in him. Um, and that's why many, many people become offended and fall away, because they put their trust in a man, and the man fails them. And then they're like, well, I'm just going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. Fine, you want to go to hell? Your, your faith was never set, in, never set where it should have been in the first place. You've got a purpose in your heart that if you're the last person on earth and there's no man left on earth that is righteous, you're not going to give up on God. Period. There can't be one person that if it's, is taken out of your life that you're putting your hope in that, that cannot be taken out of your life for your, for your faith to fall away. Because if there's a person that can be taken out of your life that will make you fall away from God, or, or, or can deceive you or betray you. If there's a person in your life, and that's the thing that's going to make you give up on God, that's exactly probably the thing God's going to test you with. It would be much safer to not even be in that position so God didn't have to do that to you. Because he, He's going to test you. So, it says, And the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. My people love it. It says, my people love to have it so. Now, we're not talking about the modern-day Jew here. We're talking about if you be Christ, you be Abraham's seed, and there's the promise. They love to have it. You can't preach hard to these people. Oh, well, my God's a God of love. Yeah, he's also a God of judgment. My God, at least. Your, your God's just a God of love, evidently. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. There, there's two sides to God. He has to judge sin. So, it's no big shake for the prophets to prophesy falsely and for the priests to bear rule by what the prophets are saying because the people love to have it that way. Evidence all the things we, we go over every week. How bad it is in the church. These videos we've watched recently. They love that. They want their sin. And then it says, and then what will you do in the end thereof? Well, I know what God's going to do. Judgment. It has to happen. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7 says, Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days stoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? Now, 
I think this could work into this whole dominionist theology where they believe they're going to bring in the kingdom. This apostate megachurch is going to bring in the kingdom. Where is the promise of his coming? Because the church is going to bring it in. They're going to be taking credit most likely for this. Not really Jesus Christ coming back and setting up his kingdom. See, they want to be his gods. Just like just the, the old the old lie of Satan in, in, in the thing, in the... Uh, the serpent told Eve, "Ye shall be as gods. They want to be as God. That's the lie of every religion that there is, every false religion. You're always going to end up as your own God. If you're a Mormon, they believe you're going to ultimately dwell on um, uh, a planet and have spiritual tabernacles and make spiritual babies. And I believe it's on planet Kolob. And this is, I'm not making this up. This really is what they believe. Okay? In New Age, you believe you're going to ascend into a higher life form and you're going to be this ascended master and, 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 and we're all going to whatever. Um, it's always ending up like that. That's always one of the big lives of Satan. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, you could say that right now. Oh, you know, my... My preacher's been saying for 30 years that the uh, the uh, rapture could happen any minute and the tribulation could begin and here it is. Now that's caused a lot of people to fall away because a lot of people were in the church for many years and waiting and waiting and waiting and the candy didn't come, the goodies didn't get here and they got impatient, so they left. Fine. If that's, if that's what you were putting your faith in, that's the very thing God tested you on and you've been proven and found and you've been tried and found wanting, as the Bible says. It said that in, in Daniel. Um, that one um, prince was tried and found wanting. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they are willingly ignorant. Deep down they know. But it's easier to be willingly ignorant. Which really is a lie. If you're willingly ignorant, you're just you, you know what you're doing. You're just... You're unpurposely acting as though you're willingly ignorant, but you're really not. You really know, deep down, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished. Now this was in reference to Noah's flood. The world was overflowed with water. We know that's not going to happen again because God gave us the sign of the rainbow that, that was the well, was the uh, promise that He was not going to overflow the world again with water like He did during Noah's day. Be overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store. Reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. See, the, the earth right now is reserved unto fire. It's going to burn up eventually. Oh, not according to the dominionists. It's just going to get gooder and gooder. Everything's going to get better and better. We're going to bring in the kingdom. Ah, uh, yeah, Jesus will maybe help us out a little bit. You know, but uh, we'll, we can handle it, Jesus. We can handle nothing. Apart from him, we are nothing and we can't handle nothing. But they're so arrogant that they, they've convinced themselves of this. Um, so in this issue of the last trumpet, we will examine the spiritually deadly condition that has overtaken the nation the entire world. It's a condition that's described in both the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. 
um, it would not be enough to induce people to not think, but also to not care was the goal. So in other words, we've got a lot of people that are brainwashed right now. But really the ultimate goal beyond even brainwashing is to get them to not care. Now that's called apathy. And that was my main slide in my avian flu presentation. My favorite slide was this just guy sitting there, this couch potato like this. It was my favorite slide because I felt as though from what I saw in the church, particularly the church, that's what I saw most. Apathy. Oh, I don't care. It's not my problem. As long as it's not affecting me, I'm not going to lift a finger to do nothing about it. Cool. You're going to have to answer to God, not me. Um, so, that's really the main goal of the one world government. Just get people not to care. They've got so many distractions, so much of the world, so many problems, and, you know, they don't care. And this is another thing I, I see about charismatics. Man, alive they got a lot of problems. Now listen, I've been there. So I have a right. The Bible says, or, you know, that you've heard that expression where it says, don't judge another unless you've walked in their shoes. Well, listen, I've been there. Oh, I've been, I've been the radical, holy role in Pentecost. I have been there. I am qualified to render an opinion about this. I have never been around a group of Christians that have more problems. Um, not only physically, but, but, um, mentally and emotionally, unstable. Unstable. I'm sorry. Not to say that there's not a lot of them I really don't love as, as, as far as having compassion on, but man, are they unstable. I don't think I've ever met one that's stable. They're this way and they're that way. They're, they're, they're tossed of every sea of the wind. Uh, every wave of the sea, as the Bible talks about. Every wind of doctrine. Ever, ever seeking knowledge, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Running to and fro, seeking the Word of God. Typically, they don't have a comprehension of the King James Bible. I think that's foundational. They're involved in a 501c3 church. An apostate 501c3 church, to boot. Sorry for anybody hearing this if this offends them, but I'm telling you, I've been there. And I believe I found a way to get all these messages up online. It's a, it's a service called Sermon Audio. And I'm, I'm checking into it right now. And I think it's just a matter of pain. And that's what they... And I'll have my own webpage with all the sermons up there. Oh boy, this is going to make my email list happy when they start listening to these. But I'll tell you what. For anybody listening to this right now. Refute what I'm saying then. Biblically refute me. Please. The Bible says a wise man will love you when you rebuke him, if the rebuke is, is valid. So rebuke me. I'm not challenging you to rebuke. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this in a defiant way. I'm saying, please do. Please do. Put me in my place. I want to be put in my place. I really want to be. If I'm wrong, I don't want to be deceiving people. But I've really been there. I've been in the whole charismatic thing. I've been there. I've had a boatload of Messianic Jewish stuff shoved down my throat in addition. I've dealt with Mormons. I've dealt with Jehovah Witnesses. Personally, I have. Does that mean I think I'm the kingpin know-it-all? Can't tell me? No, I don't think that at all. If I was not open-minded to the truth, I would have never found out the truth. 
Does that mean I think I'm walking in all truth and I'm the purveyor of all knowledge? Heavens no, I don't. So, if I need to be rebuked, please do it. My email address is drjohnson, D-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at ix.netcom.com. So then it's, it goes on to say in this article, the Illuminati conspirators have also known that the threat of fear and terror would bring about a spiritual and mental resignation on the part of the targeted population. So what they do is they put a lot of fear and terror in us. Oh, this is going to happen. The Muslims are going to kill us. We're going to get bombed. We're going to have uh, planes flying in buildings and all these things. Fear and terror, mainly created through our wonderful Bush-Cheney administration. Of course, they have handlers above them that are pulling their strings like puppets. But the threat of fear and terror would bring about a spiritual and mental resignation. When you resign from a... From a oh, I, I resigned today from work. Well, when you resign, you withdraw yourself. You're not in that job. You're not in that fight anymore. So you spiritually and mentally resign from that battle. That's what most Christians have done. They've resigned from the battle. They want the good stuff. They want the goodies. They want the gifts. They want all the other, the, the fun, nice, happy buttercups and lily stuff. But they don't want any of the hard stuff that really makes you grow. They don't want the valley experience. They want the mountaintop. That's it. That goes to show you how stinking immature the average so-called pseudo-Christian is in this country. They're going to have to grow up in a hurry or fall away, is what I believe is going to happen. The threat of fear and terror would bring about a spiritual and mental resignation on the part of the targeted population, and thus they could be easily controlled. That's where we're at. Um, yeah, you want to say something? Pull that. I mean, we were just talking, there was another term that the Romans used in their day, which was called bread and circuses. And, in other words, it was a commonly known notion that if you give the population bread, food, and provide them with entertainment, then they don't care. Then they mentally resign themselves. Well, that's what you have in America. You've got all of the distractions that are available... And for the most part, there's not a lot of people going hungry at night so much. Uh, and now you add the aspect of the terror of all... Then you've really got the, the, the scenario set to, to mentally resign yourself from the fight. So in the first scripture that we talked about earlier on Jeremiah, described the people of Israel as being held captive by their own political and spiritual leaders. Even though they knew those leaders were wrong and evil... In other words, they were willingly ignorant. Strangely enough, the prophet marveled that the people loved to have it so. In the second group of scriptures, the apostle Peter describes the same condition that Jeremiah revealed and used the words willingly ignorant to describe the people of earth in the last days. This is especially true of professing Christians. Very few of them ever talk about Bible prophecy anymore. One vital point regarding this serious problem that I urge you to never forget is that it is not the work of the Antichrist to deceive unbelievers of this world. Uh, unbelievers in this... of this word or world? I don't know, that might have been a typo. Um, Satan already has unbelievers right where he wants them. The work of the Antichrist is to deceive Christians. Well, the work of the Antichrist is to deceive everybody. He, he wants to keep the 
unsaved to see so they don't get saved too. So I wouldn't go that far. When Christians stop reading the true Bible, and when they no longer pray and fight the enemy, the first thing they lose is their gift of discernment. Well, I don't know. You, you need to show me some scripture on that. The first thing they lose, I, I, I mean, I, I think there's a good chance that's, that's exactly what happens, but I don't see a... You have to show me a scripture to back that up, that statement up, a little bit better. But I think there's a lot of merit to what he says. Um, the gift of discernment. Now, this is the gift that, like, nobody has at all in this country. Nobody. How do I know that? Because I'll, I'll present people this stuff all the time about all these various things that are wrong, and people don't have a clue about it. Where's your discernment? What Bible are you reading? Well, my pastor, who cares what your pastor said? He's deceiving you. He's probably deceiving you to go to hell. I, I'm sorry to say it, but that's the case. You got a headache? Oh, okay. Because I got natural stuff for headaches. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, um, so it says very, very few people talk about Bible prophecy anymore. True Bible prophecy. Um, one vital point regarding this serious problem that I urge you to never forget is that it is not the work of the Antichrist to deceive unbelievers of this world. Oh, we already read all this. I'm sorry. Um, they lose their gift of discernment. This is a gift that is given only to those who, who are actively engaging the enemy in battle. That's an interesting point. And it makes sense. Why would God give the gift of discernment, which is knowing good and evil, to somebody who's not even in the fight? What point is it? If you're not even in the fight, why? Do you think you're going to get blessed of God in a good way? I don't see how that's possible. I think Satan can placate you and make you think that you're, you're spiritual and holy or whatever. What follows is an inability to think for themselves. This is why they follow men, pastors, in their false Bible versions. And then to understand that the evil world that they live in. The professing Christians then become like the characters in The Wizard of Oz. With no heart, no brain, and no courage. Well, that's what you got now. No heart, no brain, no courage. That's the church. The Illuminati and Satan are counting on that. They're counting on you, Christian. Satan's counting on you, Christian. They're counting on you to do the wrong thing. This world is in serious trouble, as the remainder of this newsletter will clearly reveal. Um, who's really running this present world, and why is the condition, why, and, and why is it in the condition that it's in? Um, we know that we have reached a point in time when all officials in the highest offices of this government are members of secret societies, which are all interlocked by one common. One world, one world, new world order goal. The Masonic Lodge, the York Rite, the Scottish Rite, the Mystic Shrine, the Skull and Bones, the Knights of Columbus, the Papal Knights, the Opus Dei, and numerous other secret societies are all um, based on secrecy and operate in it. All of these are shrouded in mystery, and our Savior taught us that the only reason for secrecy is to hide evil. John three nineteen through twenty says, quote, "And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. That's why they loved darkness, because their deeds were evil. 
For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They hate light. Cockroaches hate the light when you turn the light on. They always flee. Okay? That's what I said in my, my avion flu presentation. So when you turn that light on, man, they're, they're, they're out of there. Neither cometh to the light. Now these are speaking of them that do evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. They hate light. Neither cometh to the light. That's why when you try to shine the spotlight on an evil person, what the fair first, usually what they'll do, the first thing they'll usually do is say, oh no, boom, spotlight back on you. You're the evil one, not me. Because they can't stand that light. Now, what is that? That's called an accusing spirit. These are spirits that operate through people. And I've known a lot of people that have a really good accusing spirit. You accuse them of anything, and immediately, and they're totally to blame, immediately that spotlight's right back on you. Oh no, you're the one. It's your fault. You, you. I was with a woman like that for four years, and then another one for about another three and a half. Sorry. <laughs> of course, on the second lady that I was with, I didn't realize that until it was, I was deceived. Very deceived. That's why I say, I'm not saying that I'm perfect in any of this, but this accusing spirit operates through people that are operating in darkness. They're very adept at using it. And you can be in an argument with somebody that has this accusing spirit operating through them, and you're, and you're basically an honest person. It's very, very hard to argue with these types of people because that accusing spirit's better. It's very adept turning the spotlight back on you and making you look like you're the bad guy, even when you're not. And you come away and you've lost the argument and yet you weren't even the one in the, in the wrong or to blame because they're that good at it. That's why you really just have to pray about these types of confrontations. You have to pray. So, it says that for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. That's why they don't want to come to light, because they don't want their deeds reproved. Because if they were to fess up to this, then they would have to humble themselves, and their deeds would be reproved, they would be exposed for the, for the devils that they are, and they don't want that. They want to live in darkness. And the longer you live in darkness, the more shining a light will hurt your eyes and blind you. So the longer they've been there, the harder it is for them to come out of it, too. It's another thing. Jesus answered him and said openly to the world, I, I taught ever in the synagogue and in the temple whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. That's what Jesus said. He said in secret I have said nothing. It should not surprise us that the Antichrist Illuminists hold all of the high offices of the church and state. And at the same time they are members of secret societies. And that's a pretty strong statement. They hold all the high offices of church, of church and state. Yes, they do. Sure they do. They control basically every religion in the world, including the pseudo-Christianity that's passed off as, as being Christian in this country. Oh, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you don't believe it. They do. They're the ones that control... They're 501c3 corporations. These are gigantic 501c3 corporations. At the head of all these corporations, whether it's Pentecostal, whether it's Baptist, whether there is a high-level... Luciferian Satanists at the top of these organizations. Okay, Now, I'm not saying that every single church underneath them automatically is apostate. 
This is one of the reasons I gravitated toward independent fundamental Baptists, because in that, you don't have a mother church. Like in the Assembly of God, you have the mother church in Missouri. Springfield, Missouri. Okay? Um, in the Catholic Church, your mother church is in Rome. Okay? So, um, in Mormonism, it's in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. So, you don't have that going... And, and each church is autonomous, which is biblically the way it's set up, which is biblically the way it should be. Churches should be autonomous, meaning they're their own entities. They don't have a ruling body over them because when you have that ruling body, corruption always enters in. It's not biblical. So, um, these, are, these are individuals that control the churches. Now, Fritz Springmeier had a book where he went over all this called, called Be Wise as Serpents, where he, he detailed all of that. I haven't even read the, got a chance to read that yet, but he detailed all the different churches, how they're controlled all at the top. Every single one of them. Every one of them. Um, he's the only guy I know that have done that, and he's been rewarded. He's in prison. And uh, we've wrote back and forth several times, but he's exposed this about as much as anybody I know. So we were warned that this would be the case in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Governmental racketeering has been going on for a long time, and officials don't like competition. Um, that's why they go after the competition and call what the competitors are doing crime when the officials are doing the same things. Except they're doing it on a much larger scale. Did you know our, our government was involved in all kind of criminal activities? Uh, has been for so long. It was a well-known fact that, that, that Bill Clinton was flying drugs into Mena, Mesa, no, Mena, Arkansas, flew, flying cocaine, co you know, um, whole transport planes of cocaine in. Well, why would our government do that? Because a population that's drugged up and drugged down is easy to control. Not only that, they make a lot of money. The trail of dead bodies associated with Bill and Hillary Clinton is so unbelievably horrific, it's not even funny. And if you don't believe me, there's a tape out called, uh, it's on the Clintons, I, I got it over there, um, a video. It chronicles the whole thing. All the dead bodies. Well, that's our, our lovely government. William Casey, former director of the CIA, which is one of the most wicked organizations on the planet, the CIA, said, quote, We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. You get that? We'll know our disinformation, which is bad information, program. In other words, the government has a disinformation program, they'll know, the government will know, when that is complete, when everything the American public believes is false. That's their goal. To have every single stinking thing we believe in the news that we believe is true as false. Woe unto them that call good evil and evil good, that put light, darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitterness for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what they're doing. We must remember that the economy and the money system is the lifeblood of the nation. We also know that over the past 80 years, some very powerful men have made very startling admissions regarding the economies of the nation. 
which would one day come under complete control of the beast Antichrist system. In 1927, Sir Josiah Stamp, president of the Bank of England, and the second richest man in Britain spoke at the University of Texas. Now, this is funny because this this whole next part is everything is the email I sent him for this for this newsletter. They're the exact quotes from the exact people. And hey, I'm glad he's using it. I'm glad he's using it. But I saw that. And I'm like, oh, cool. Um, it says banking was conceived in iniquity. Now, this is from Jer Sir Josiah Stamp. He was president of the Bank of England in 1927. President. This is what he said, not me, and this is a verifiable quote. Banking was conceived in iniquity and born in sin. Sounds pretty biblical. Wait, statement. The bankers own the earth. Well, the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness of thereof, and all they that dwell therein. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Anyway. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So I don't buy into that. God owns it all. Period. Okay? But he says, from a, from a worldly standpoint, the bankers own the earth. Take it away from them, but leave them the power to create deposits. And with a flick of a pen, they will create enough deposits to buy back again. However, see, because they create money out of thin air. That's all, of our, that's all our currency is since 1907, or 1913, since the Federal Reserve Act. All our currency is, is money created with a flick of a pen. Oh, we want money, we'll just create it out of thin air. It's like having a checkbook with, with, with no money in the account, but you can write checks on it all day long. Oh, we need, we need to print a billion more dollars. Oh, print it out, here. They give it to the, the Treasury Department, they print the bills. There's nothing backing it anymore. Fort Knox doesn't come into play at all. There's no gold or silver backing our money anymore. Nothing. That last came into being in 1968 when they finally took us totally off the silver standard. No more silver in the coins at all. That's a big deal. There's nothing backing our money. When you create that environment, which was created by the Federal Reserve Act in 1913, what happens is, is it will always, always, always start a hyperinflation mode. The only reason that hasn't destroyed our country is because at the same time they created the Internal Revenue Service, which was the privately owned debt collection arm of the Federal Reserve Bank, privately owned. It's not our government. The IRS is not a government entity. They're a privately owned debt collection arm for the International Monetary Fund. That's all they are. What their job was to do is to, is to collect taxes illegally to put it back into the monetary system so it would keep this inflation in check. Because if it wasn't there, the economy would have imploded a long time ago. So from that standpoint, the IRS is a highly illegal organization that has been created in order to do this. Okay? With a flick of a pen, they would create enough deposits to buy it back again. However, take it away from them and, in other words, take this power the bankers have away from them and all the great fortunes like mine, this is Sir Josiah Stamp saying this, all the great fortunes like mine will disappear. And they ought to disappear. I like this. At least he's being honest. For this would be a happier and better world to live in. This is the guy that's causing the problems, telling you he's causing the problems, telling you the world would be a better place. <laughs> but if you wish to remain the slaves of the bankers and pay the cost of your own slavery, 
let them continue to create deposits. By creating deposits, what I mean is, there, is that they're creating money. Oh, we need a billion dollars to put into circulation. Here's a check. Give it, give it to the uh, the Treasury Department. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll print all this money up. There's nothing back in it. The only the only expense they have is actually the paper and the ink. That's it. Henry Henry Ford, okay, of the Ford fame, said it is well enough that people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did, I believe there would be revolution by tomorrow morning. Henry Ford. Late President Woodrow Wilson. President Woodrow Wilson said, quote, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. Why is he saying he's unwittingly ruined his country? You know when he was president? 1913. 1913 was when the Federal Reserve Act and the IRS was created. He was the one that let it happen and signed it into being. Woodrow Wilson. I have, I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. He ruined the country. He admitted it. A great industrial nation is controlled by its system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all of our activities are in the hands of a few men, these bankers. He did it. He signed the legislation that let this happen. We have come to be rule we have come to be one of the worst ruled one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. This was in 1913. Think how bad it is now. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of a majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small amount of dominant men. In May 1983, President Ronald Reagan spoke in Williamsburg, Virginia and said, Our federal tax system, meaning the Internal Revenue Service, is in short, utterly impossible, utterly unjust, and completely counterproductive. It reeks with injustice and is fundamentally un-American. He knows. It has earned, it has earned a rebellion and it's time we rebelled. That's what Ronald Reagan said. I could give you quote after quote after quote. I could give you quote from IRS ex-commissioners. They're ex. They can't say it when they are commissioner, but when they're ex-commissioners. They're green. Oh, but I'm a conspiracy nut. Whatever. <laughs> if you can prove me wrong, prove me wrong. That's all I can keep saying. The United States economy is worsening continually. But as long as the gasoline prices go down for a while, most people don't seem to notice that there's any prevailing undercurrent of deterioration. And you know why the gasoline prices are going down? What I believe, and I've seen this proved out, the, re the real reason they're going down is because the elections are coming up, and they want to get there, they don't want to, they don't want to get too far, uh, get two people too upset about the way the economy is right prior to elections. Especially the Republicans. Because that's the particular party that's really, really, really created the, through Bush and Cheney and their oil ties and all this other junk. Now, granted, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, sorry, it's all the, it's two sides of the same wicked, stinking coin, is all it is. There's no difference. There's really, they're all working toward the same New World Order agenda. If there was any difference, why is it we've been moving toward the same New World Order agenda? It didn't matter who we had in office. Clinton, oh, he was this terrible man. Oh, it's a lot better under Bush? Oh, we need a Democrat at all. Oh, yeah, Hillary Clinton? And maybe uh, John McCain? 
Oh, we're going to talk about them in a second. Oh, what about Jesse Jackson? I think that would be a great ticket. Hillary Clinton and Jesse Jackson of the Rainbow Coalition. Well, why not get a Muslim in there? You know? All right, and that would be politically correct, wouldn't it? You know? Well, why not go for it all? So currently our country is running an annual trade deficit at a rate of $776 billion trade deficit. That's not good. This is an increase by $68 billion. The, 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 the more of a trade, meaning trade with other countries, deficit we run, the quicker this country is going to go under. We can't run that kind of trade deficit. All of our money's going out, but there's very little coming in, comparatively. We're becoming ever more indebted to other nations. We also know that major corporations such as Ford are making massive cutbacks and suffering huge losses. Well, I think one of the reasons Ford's suffering such huge losses is because of their stinking homosexual puke agenda, which they've been trying to shove down everybody's throat. Now, I do believe Ford makes the best trucks. F-150 series, 250, 350 diesel, good trucks. Oh, no, no, I think Ford has them beat on longevity. Longevity. But Ford has become synonymous with the homosexual agenda. Huge. Same-sex marriage benefits if you work at the company. Just shoving that. Have you seen some of the Ford commercials? Oh, man, they're nasty. They're bad. I mean, they're, they're as bad as anything you would see on TV. Really bad, nasty commercials. This one commercial, I can't even describe you this one commercial because it's not appropriate. This is a commercial. I can't even describe it to you. It's that bad. And they ran it, and they ran it, and they ran it, and they ran it for a long time. Not that I'm sitting here watching the TV ever, because normally I don't even turn the TV on to watch any kind of regular programming during the week, okay? But I have seen, being over at my parents, in there, see this, this particular commercial come on, and everybody hates the commercial. Even people in the world hate it, because it's so repetitive and obnoxious. But, yeah, they keep running it. Um... All of this is happening because of our political and economic leaders have a religion called Luciferianism, which operates on deception and they are very strict in their beliefs. Never in the history of our nation has there been such an utter lack of character and common decency among those that occupy high offices of government. On July 28th, Senators Hillary Rodham Clinton and John McCain went on a congressional trip together to Estonia. While in that nation, representing our nation on official business, Hillary Hillary Clinton suggested holding a vodka drinking contest. John McCain said he was delighted and quickly agreed. McCain commented later on how much fun he found Hillary to be. McCain stated that he didn't remember details as they were a little fuzzy. Well, that's what happens when you're sloshed out of your mind. But he did say Hillary is one of the guys. Chip off the old block. Both Hillary Clinton and John McCain are frontrunners for their party in the 2008 presidential election. Truly, our nation is deteriorating fast. Even the deception is the, is the modus operandi of the high government. Modus operandi means you're operating. What, what is your agenda? That's when you ever hear the, the word modus operandi, that means like, what is your agenda? Even Senator John Rockefeller, of all people, recently stated, President Bush duped the public on Iraq, and the world would be better off if Saddam Hussein is still running that country. But see, everything's blamed on mean old Saddam Hussein, and it's never blamed on our country at all. It's a sad fact that the United States government has not earned the trust in the American people, but rather the, the contrary. 
Um, I am especially concerned about the many veterans who are being targeted by our own government because they know that they have been used and are speaking out about it. Our active military has been spread thin as they have been sent to 145 nations around the world. Now, that's another thing. They get all of our nation, all of our military offshore so they can't defend America. Here at home, Veterans Administration computers have been stolen to help certain clandestine forces locate those who oppose the New World Order. Veterans, veteran Administration hospitals likewise cannot be trusted because they are, they are dark forces that would like to eliminate large number of veterans who are now understand what is happening and stand against the treason in Washington, D.C. Remember, these veterans are trained soldiers and are a real threat to their conspiracy. And I hadn't ever thought of that. But, you know, it's, uh, that's a whole other subject, how they've, what they've done to them through depleted uranium. But there, there's so many of these Gulf War veterans and all these people that have come back from these wars that are sick now because of all of the chemical weapons and depleted uranium that have been used, and they're all, they're all sick. So, they're, so, you know, that's all by design. The plans and procedures that are coming out of Washington, D.C. are not in the best interest of, of America. One example is the amazing, shocking story released by the Associated Press on September 13th. United States Air Force Secretary Michael Wynn made the following statement. Non-lethal weapons such as high-power microwave devices should be used on American citizens in crowd control situations before they are used on the battlefield. They're supposed to be used in an experimental way on American citizens. Microwave weapons... Before they're used on the battlefield? Sounds reasonable. Domestic use would make it easier to avoid questions in the international community over any possible safety concerns. So it would be better to test them on the American public than our enemies. This is a quote from this guy. I sent this out to everybody, this quote. If we're not, in fact, that's where he got this from. If, if it were not, if we're not willing to use it here against our fellow citizens, then we should not be willing to use it in a wartime situation. If I hit somebody with a non-lethal weapon and they claim that it, that it injured them in a way that was not intended, I think I would be vilified in the world press. Oh, so better to use these experimental weapons on the American public first. Microwaves and other such weapons emit short, intense energy pulses that weaken and disable people and electronic devices. Nice. Really nice. Um... I'm just going to skip ahead here. I recently received a postcard with a very haunting picture on it. Oh, let me see. Uh, Nah, I'm, I'm going to skip that part. Uh, what I'm now saying regarding the attack on the towers, on the Twin Towers, is that what he's been consistently saying uh, since day one is recently three astute university professors who did intense research on the 9-11 attacks have come to the same conclusion. And as stated it, it was an inside job performed by our own U.S. government. Dr. Ken, Kevin Bartlett of the University of Wisconsin will be teaching on the subject even though the state legislature tried to get him fired. The university officials sided with Dr. Bartlett. Now this is all referenced to everything I'm reading you here. 
Dr. Stephen Jones, a physics professor, Brigham Young, who agrees with Dr. Bartlett, was suspended and given paid leave for his ex expose against the governmental conspirators. We must remember that Brigham Young University is also under Masonic control as their, as their, uh, their Mormons. Um, in other words, they've got some very, very high-level professors, and what they're called is they're called the Scholars for 9-11 Truth. In fact, I know one of the main ladies, they wanted me to speak at one of their conferences, actually, um, on the avion flu. I know one of the ladies that's head of one of these organizations in California, and these are scholars and professors and people that have come together and, and have analyzed what happened at 9-11 and said, there is no way this is real. We have been totally lied to. And they can prove it about 400 different ways how we've been lied to. But this is all suppressed in the media. Oh, it's all conspiracy theory. You know. Um, the history books tell us that World War II, we had two theaters of war. You ever hear the wars referred to as theaters? The European theater and the Pacific theater. And this is Nazi Germany fighting Hitler and then the actually fighting the Japanese. The word theater cannot be more appropriate to describe all of these wars of recent history because they are choreographed and staged. See, all the wars we fought are all choreographed and staged. All lies, okay? Yes, they were real wars, but for the reasons we were fighting them, we're all, it was all for profit, control, advancing the agenda of the one world government, it was not what we were told. None of the wars we've ever fought in modern day history. None of them. Remember that the people in high offices that want war are the ones that must pretend that they don't want it. These are the ones that tout peace and safety while they secretly plan destruction. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So see, they cry peace, but there's no peace. They really want war. Why do they want war? Well, one of the main reasons is because they have all these vested interests in the um, people that, um, in the companies that make bullets, ballistics, all the tanks, all the chemicals used in war. That's, that's how they make money. It's a really easy way to make money. Iraq has become bloodbathed due to our presence there. And the screams and cries from daily atrocities are reaching into the heaven. Um, on August 23rd, thousands of U.S. Marines were, were called to active duty to be sent to the land of slaughter known as Iraq. So many of our military personnel come back from war zones wounded in many ways, but far more come back from the effects of the so-called spent uranium. This is called depleted uranium. Uh, the first Gulf War taught us the dangers of that. In 1990 to 1991, we fought a three-week war in the Persian Gulf, an area involving 580,400 of our troops. The total number of our soldiers that were wounded in that war was 467. So we must ask ourselves why there are now 11,000 Gulf War I veterans dead and why there are whopping 325,000 of the 580,000 now with permanent me medical disabilities. You get that? This is from Gulf War One, Three-week war we fought. 580,400 troops we set over there. Of those now, 325,000 have permanent medical disability? More than half the people that went to this war are now all medically disabled? 
56%, in other words, who serve have now severe medical problems. What is up with that? Well, there's several reasons. Chemical war weapons that were used that our troops were exposed to. Depleted uranium, which are the things they put on the front. I just did a uh, about a 45-minute interview on Free Market News Network on depleted uranium. Why the cancer? Why everybody's getting lung cancer now? It's from the depleted uranium that's been used around the world. It's in the atmosphere now. We're breathing it in, and it causes cancer. It's radioactive waste. We breathe it into our lungs. We get lung cancer if we're not. I've got. I've had two or three patients in the last six months that have lung cancer, and I mean really aggressive cases of this stuff. Um, we're just lied to continually by our government. Lied and lied and lied to. Evil spirits of every, of every kind are found in the military, but especially those of sexual lust found in recruiting offices. Now, I did not know this. I never heard this. Spirits of sexual lust are found in recruiting offices. This is where they recruit people to come into the army, the recruiting officers. More than 100 young women who expressed interest in joining the military in 2005 were raped on recruiting office couches assaulted in government cars or groped in route to entrance exams. Now, this is, a, this is all referenced when I'm reading you. A six-month Associated Press study recently revealed that over 80 recruiters were disciplined by loss of rank or pay, including 35 Army recruiters, 18 military recruiters, 18 Navy recruiters, and 12 Air Force recruiters. They're raping these girls coming into the mill. I never, I never knew that at all. Another question that needs to be answered is, what have we accomplished in Afghanistan? Listen to this. Recently, the Associated Press revealed that Afghanistan is now the world leader in production of opium. Opium! Where we get heroin from. Great. And a lot of drugs that, that can be made. Really, or morphine, heroin. Okay. Opium, and produces a staggering amount, 59% of the world's supply. So Afghanistan, who we've taken over produces 59% of the supply of opium. And their, um, Afghanistan also produced 90% of the world's supply of heroin. 450 tons in 2005. And our government totally controls that country now. Don't you think if we were really doing the right thing, that production would go down? No, it's went through the roof. Good job, U.S. I, I tell you, I can't help but pray for, for judgment on this wicked nation. I, I, I mean... Granted, I don't want to be caught in the crossfires, but if there was ever a nation that deserved judgment, this nation does. It was, it was not like this before our troops arrived there. The Afghan government official said it's completely out of control. And the Afghanistans, who are stinking Muslims, say, are saying it's out of control. They're even grieved by They have more moral standards than we do most of the time. They won't allow all this pornography and all this other stuff into their countries. Granted, they're demon-possessed of the toenails, but at least they have some sense of morality that we don't have in this country. You want to say something? Um, uh, is the war on terror really a gimmick? Let me see here. <coughs> It is interesting to note that, yes, the war on terror is a gimmick. Se September 7th, France totally rejected the war on terror. We must also note that the powerful European Union condemned the secret CIA prisons operated in the United States, including the Bush administration's disregard for the Geneva Convention and the torturing of prisoners in the United States. See, Bush and Cheney are trying so, so hard right now 
to make torturing legal, uh, to do every possible thing they can do to take away any prisoner's rights. President Bush and Vice President Dick Cheney remain rock solid on insisting that these prisons are necessary. Cheney openly stated that torturing prisoners is an option they have to have. In addition to that, Secretary of Defense Ronald, Donald Rumsfeld has also put out an offer of $20 million contract to hire a watchdog agency to monitor all news stories filed by the U.S. and the foreign media so that they, that they can control this information. All news sources will be classified as either positive, neutral, or negative. Amazing things are happening in the news. One example is a strange missile-like tube that flew over the main runway airport at Hilo, Hawaii on October on August 17th of this year. Witnesses said it was trailing vapor and was super loud. No, no explanation has been given what it is. Um, the entire world is in a state of unrest. We recently had a war between the Israeli state and the Hezbollah forces, which lasted 33 days. Now Hezbollah is rearming for an even greater war. Meanwhile, Israel's state has also made it clear that they are gearing up for full-scale war with Iran and Syria. To add fuel to that already raging fire, Pope Benedict recently made a speech in which he condemned the Islamic Jihad as unreasonable, evil, and inhuman. That's what the Pope said. The Pope has now a serious problem. The Muslim world is now rising up calling for a holy war against the Pope and his, and his followers. This is just the way Albert Pike and Giuseppe Ma Ma Mazzini, Mazzino planned it when laying out the blueprint for the three world wars. See, there's going to be a third world war. And the third world war is where the Antichrist is going to come out of. Okay, And this was all predicted over a hundred years ago. This is what, what was going to happen. Most likely we're going to see some type of holy war, possibly between the Muslim nations and maybe what we would call pseudo-Christians, maybe Catholics. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but the Pope's in a big, big dilemma now because he can't apologize to what he said for the Muslims. Because ordinarily a religious figure could apologize for saying something like that. But the Pope cannot do this without destroying the Catholic Church because according to the di dictates of the Hildebrand and Canon Law, the Pope speaks what they call ex cathedra, means, meaning that whatever the Pope says is infallible. That's what they believe in their stinking puke religion. He's infallible. An apology would destroy the doctrine of papal infallibility and would desecrate the throne of St. Peter. Well, let me tell you something. That stinking throne is already desecrated. It's an abomination in the sight of God. And this is all according to Roman Catholic doctrine. So it appears that there's no way out of this of this thing for the for the Catholics. And it's interesting when the Pope said this, um, as as the the Muslim religion was inhuman and evil. Well, their response was, "Okay, let's go kill a nun and let let's let's cause all kind of." So they just prove out that it actually is inhuman. But it's okay for them to do that. We we got to keep our mouths shut about them, you know, because we can't say I'm going to say I'm going to say whatever I want to say about them. They're going to have to try. To, they're going to have to shut my mouth. If if God wants to let them shut my mouth, then then so be it. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to placate those devils. I pray to God they get saved if it be possible. But that I, I hate that religion. Oh, I hate that religion. Don't hate the people. Pray to God they get saved. But man, is that a wicked, double-faced, two-faced, hypocritic religion? Um.
In Australia, 11,000 Roman Catholic students in Queensland are being taught to meditate. The Courier Mail news, newspaper reports the following. Children as young as five are participating in the ancient exercise of mental stillness by sitting, eyes closed, in their classroom, and silently re repeating a mantra. You ever hear them go, Om, Om, that's a mantra, okay? They're, they're sitting in the lotus position, spitting marbles out of their mouth, repeating this mantra. No, just kidding. I, I got a little carried away there about the lotus position and the marbles. But they might as well be, you know. It should be also be noted, and it should also be noted that the children sit in a circle in the lotus position with their hands forming the yin and yang configuration. <laughs> now, I, I didn't make that up. That's what it said in there. The people of the United States have also gone berserk over tattoos. The amazing thing about that is that something that the wearers of tattoos may not realize. That is, the imprints are almost without exception placed on points of chakras on the body. The chakras are defined in the occult yoga religion as the seven points through which the kundalini force travels and sometimes rests. The kundalini is a mysterious serpent power that coils in the chakras. Um... So, this, all of this tattooing is totally demonic. On July 10th, the significant portion of the Presbyterian Church voted, this is the Presbyterian Church voted, that to allow the Trinity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost to be changed to the mother, child, and womb. Mother, child, and womb. Or if the congregation prefers... There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of death. If they prefer, rock, redeemer, and friend. Yeah. In England, an ecumenical organization known as Church's Advertising Network published posters of Christianity that are nothing short of rank blasphemy. One such poster is a nearly empty pint glass of beer with residue of froth that forms on the face of Jesus. The caption says, where will, where will you find him? He's going to be in a bar, drinking beer. He's got froth on his... Uh, uh, although the Jesus they're portraying is not even the real Jesus, because I'm sure it's the long-haired freak Jesus. In another ad, they depicted the Virgin Mary as having a bad hair day when she discovered she was pregnant. Huh. How long is God going to let this go on? I, I don't think much... I, I just can't see it being much longer. Satan has been everywhere with a major thrust because he knows time is short. Revelation 12.12 12 warns us, saying, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to them, the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you a great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Um, This is one other thing, and then we'll close this out. Uh, it says, October 31st is the Witch's High Cross Quarter Sabbat of Samhain. It's actually, it's called Samhain. If you ever see the word S-A-M-H-A-I-N, you, you'd think you'd say it's Samhain, but the witches pronounce it Samhain. Now, what is that? That's Halloween. That's their highest holiday of the year. Their highest, most um, occult holiday of the year. Uh, it's the Wiccan New Year. That's, their, that's the start of their new year, the witch's new year. When witches believe the astral plane becomes so thin that spirits can pass back and forth freely between the world from one world to the next. 
This is why we got the original tradition of wearing costumes. Because what would happen is, is they would be performing their human sacrifice and inviting devils into, into our dimension. And when they would do that, they realized that many times they could not control these devils, so they dressed up in costumes to kind of frighten the devils. So you will. Of course, I don't see how that could possibly happen. But that's why, that's how we got the tradition of wearing costumes on Halloween. Okay? That's just one of the traditions. Every, every tradition in Halloween is wicked. 18 days prior to Halloween is Friday the 13th. So we got a Friday the 13th on the same month as October this month. With the full moon riding high. Now, I don't know what that means. With, that must mean the moon is in a certain part of the sky. Now, this, you've got to understand, this is, how they, this is how witches practice their religion. Friday the 13th is a very, considered a very occultic day, even to witches. Why is that? A couple different reasons. One, it was the day when the Illuminati's plans were first exposed when a courier that was carrying the plans of the Illuminati, this was back in Europe, was struck down by a bolt of lightning. It was on a Friday the 13th. And when the courier's bag was open, they found all these wicked plans, and that's when they started going after the Masons and the Knights Templar and these kind of guys. That was way back hundreds of years ago. That was the original reason Friday the 13th was considered possibly a bad day. The other reason is 13 is the number of rebellion, and Friday is the sixth day of the week. So you've got six which is the number of man, which is always associated with evil, typically. And then 13, which is the number associated with rebellion. And then you have the other thing that happens. So that's why Friday the 13th is, is considered a bad day. Um, so 18 days prior to Halloween is Friday the 13th. Now, 18 is 6 plus 6 plus 6. Okay, now, I know all this may sound a little kooky, but trust me. This is how the witches practice their religion. Okay, and... Um, if anything, I'm not saying we should buy into it so much, but it's it's kind of um, knowing how to maybe pray about a certain certain thing. Um, so Friday the 13th will be known as a night as bad moon rising, and according to witches, um, it's a, it's a night of very, of very evil events. So as a Christian, we can pray against whatever the stinking witches are plotting that night because. High-level occultic witches and warlocks are the ones that are in control from a physical sense of this planet. They're the ones Satan has let set up. Of course, God's in control. But they're the ones Satan's putting in, you know, in rule, I guess you'd say. Yeah, he was a witch. The guy writing this newsletter. Um, the Almighty always has the last word, and the Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear according to John 4.18 so you know the Bible also says greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me and this is why I pray Psalm 64 every single day because this is a real battle that we're in and we battle not against flesh and blood and it's going to become more and more and more apparent and you're either going to have one of two choices. You're either going to have to choose to deny any of this is real more and more and more and retract back into an apostate church where the pastor's feeding you a line of bull or you're going to have to start accepting this type of information and start fighting back against it. How do you primarily fight back against it? Well, on your knees, fasting, praying, um, also by educating other people because if they don't know about this, how can they ever fight back against it? 
Uh, what time is it? Anyway? So we'll continue our study on Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Um, starts out, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we're justified by faith. Faith in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're justified before God. We're not justified by our own works, by being a good person. No, 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 no. None of that. So, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with, we're at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's got to be our Lord. He can't just can't be a Lord. He has to be our Lord. And if He's our Lord, Lord implies that He is Lord over your life. See, most people want the Savior part. Oh, I want he, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But did you accept Him as your Lord? See, a Lord is somebody that has control over you. Most people don't want the Lord part. They want the Savior part. Period. So, we have peace with God. Now, in, in this instance, I believe we're in reference to God the Father, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what if He's not your Lord? Well, He's my Savior, but what if He's not your Lord? Many will come unto me that day and cry unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not done great and mighty things? Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? And then He'll say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Why did he never know us? Because he was never our Lord. See, if he was your Lord, if somebody was Lord over you, if somebody lived in your house every day and he was Lord over you and he was telling you what to do, you would get to know him pretty good. Well, he was my Savior though, but it's a package deal. It's a package deal. Well, what are you saying? We're saved by works? No, but there should be evidence of salvation. And you don't come to Jesus on... Well, it just says, he that believeth on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. All i got to do is believe. Well, what do you believe? He's the big guy in the sky? That's not good enough. That's If you believe, if you truly believe his word, then you'll act out his word, and you'll believe what he says you have to do. Or, or, or should be a byproduct of the Holy Spirit living inside you. So, that's going to be a main thing that damns a lot of people, because they've never made him Lord over their life. Verse 2, By whom we have access by faith <clears throat> into this grace wherein we stand. Okay, so now we have access by faith. Access. What's access imply? We have access to Jesus. By faith. It's always by faith. Every bit of this always comes back to faith into this grace wherein we stand. We, have, we stand in, in the grace of God and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Oh, I don't want tribulation. But tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. See, when you go through tribulation, it teaches you patience. And when you're in tribulation and it's teaching you patience, what is that? That's an experience that you're going through. You're experiencing this thing. And experience 
hope. Hope. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Huh. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By it the elders obtained a good report? And then what first what first elder do they are they in reference to? I believe it's Abraham. Abraham was before the law. It was all by faith. Hmm. And faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Well, this is a big perpetuating thing that feeds on one another. If tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope builds faith. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. So see, it all builds on one another. See, it, 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 it builds back and it builds forward. It builds back and it builds forward. All these things add to one another. It's what's kind of cool about it all. Um, but tribulation isn't fun. And the experience that you get in tribulation isn't fun to go through. I know that. It's really not fun. But what is the, what is the fruit of it? Patience and hope, experience, these things. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. See, the Holy Ghost lives inside us. In our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit that lives inside us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were without strength apart from Christ. But in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Yet peradventure, meaning perhaps, that's what peradventure means, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Uh... Greater love no man hath than this, than a man would lay down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus said. Did he back up what he said? Yes, because he went to the cross and did what he did. He laid down his life for our sins, for mankind. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. How are we justified? By his blood. Oh, that's slaughterhouse religion. Whatever. We're justified by his blood. That's why these new versions are seeking to take the blood out of the Bible. The, the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it's, it's very, very, very powerful. They overcame him, speaking of the Antichrist, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. That's how they over that's how we overcome. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And then it says, because they love their life not unto death. They were willing to die. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony, by the word of their testimony. Okay, so being now justified by his blood, that's how we're justified. That's how we're made just. See, if you're justified, you're made just in God's sight. So how we're justified before God is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. Through His shed blood. <laughs> Sorry. Um... Christ died for our sins, that he, that he was raised and exalted to God's right hand, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Is the token that our sins are gone, that His work for us has divine approbation, and that we, for whom He has suffered, are, com are completely justified? That doesn't mean we want to go around and live live like the devil either. That doesn't give us an excuse to do that at all. And we're going to talk about that some more too. Let me just see what this one verse says. Because I think this is... Uh... For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands. See, there's two holy places. There was two holy places. The Bible says the, that the Ark of the Covenant was made after the pattern of the things in the heavenlies. The original pattern. There was an Ark of the Covenant here on earth, and there's one up in heaven. That's the one that he actually offered. That, that It says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth. See, there was, there was a figure, there was a pattern made that Moses was instructed to make, and that was the Ark of the Covenant on earth. But there's one up in heaven, too. So, for Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands. He's not entered into the Ark of the Covenant in that way, which was the one on earth, which are, which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, because that's where the true first Ark of the Covenant appears. Now to appear to us in the presence of God for Himself. Okay? So, the Bible says that, that He ever maketh intercession day and night on behalf of the saints. Okay? Then verse 10 in Romans, says, For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So that's how we were reconciled. That's how we... To reconcile, meaning to, to, to repair the breach between us and God. The, what, what happened with Adam, that, that uh, breach that was made, this is how we're reconciled to God. Because... God, the Bible describes Jesus Christ as the second Adam. See, He repaired the damage the first Adam did. Okay? And, and so, that's how we're reconciled to God, by the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Or the payment. He is our atonement. He's our payment in full. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and this is Adam, and by de and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, that all have sinned. See, because of Adam, death passed on all men, and sin entered into the world through Adam. It says it right there. For that all men have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now let's look at this a little closer. There was a note here I wanted to read you. The consequence of Adam's sin was that 
many were made sinners. See, that's just the way it is. It doesn't may not seem fair, but that's just the way it is. That's the consequence of Adam's sin. Sin entered into the world, and mankind was was made. Mankind was sinners. Were, were, were essentially made sinners by the offense of one. Judgment came upon all men into condemnation. Personal sins are not so much men here. From Adam to Moses, death reigned. Although there is no law from Adam to Moses. Okay? Personal guilt was not imputed. According, accordingly, from Genesis 4-7 to Exodus 29-14, the sin offering is not once mentioned. See, there was no sin offering up until the time of Moses. From Adam to Moses. We're talking a long time here. There was no sin offering. There was no sacrificing of animals. No sin offerings ever mentioned. Then since physical death from Adam to Moses was not due to the sinful acts of those who die, it follows that it was due to a universal sinful state or nature that the state is declared to be our inheritance from Adam. Sin entered into the world from Adam. Nevertheless, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude. Similitude would mean like the similarity the, the, in the same way. Even after them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was him to come. Let's read that again. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. They hadn't done the same thing Adam had done. That's what it means. Similitude means they haven't done the same. Nobody could do the same thing Adam had done. Nobody could partake of the, of the tree of the garden of knowledge. We didn't have access to that tree anymore. Okay? But it, then it says, of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him who was to come. Adam was the first Adam. Jesus was the second. He was the simil- he, he was the figure of those of him to come. Who is, the, who is that in reference to? Jesus Christ. He was the figure of him. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. I love when it talks about free gift. For if though for if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. So in other words, we have things being associated with both the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam being sin and death. The second Adam being righteousness and eternal life. Okay? Adam drew down into his ruin the old creation which he was Lord and Head, because God did appoint him in that position. Now, he gave that authority away to Satan when he did what he did, unfortunately. Christ brings into moral unity with God and into eternal life the new creation of which he is Lord and the Head. That's if, if we accept his free gift, that happens. So, um, but not as the offense, so also, this is verse 15, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, 
hath abounded unto many. Now many can say, well, I don't believe it's just as easy as a gift. Well, why does it keep saying it over and over in the Bible if it's not that easy? For you're saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Sorry. Let me turn that off. Okay, so... Um, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. And that's in reference to Adam. That's the one that the judgment was there to condemnation. But, the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Okay, so we're justified through this free gift. For if one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So it's, it's comparing the two over and over again. It's comparing the two. It must be pretty important because God keeps emphasizing it over and over again. And this is what where most of all modern religions go off base here. Because they don't have a concept that this is a free gift. They think, oh, it's a free gift, I can go live like the devil. They carry it too far. Okay? And then you have some that don't believe it's a free gift at all, like the Catholics, and they think, oh, you got to do the, the catechism and the seven sacraments and, and all this other junk they got to do. Then, then, they're, then they've made the gift of God of none effect. So, you have to have a balance here. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Here we go again, another comparison here. By the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Now, people say, well, I just don't believe a loving God would do that. I'm sorry. It's not a loving God that made Adam originally sin. He gave him the free option. Well, why did he give him a free option? I don't understand that. Because he's not going to kick the door down to your heart. He gave the angels a free option too. One third fell, two thirds stayed. Now after that, more may have fallen. Because it's said that after the flood, there were also giants. In the, and I don't know if more fell at that point. It's kind of hard. I can't be totally dogmatic. I don't know. Some of, maybe some of them didn't actually had fallen, but they didn't actually take wives. I, don't think, I think that's probably what happened more likely than anything. But... He's not going to kick the door down to your heart. So therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Sounds good to me. Free gift, justified, good deal. Great. Praise the Lord. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's Jesus Christ they're in reference to, obviously. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Huh, that's kind of a weird statement. The law entered that the offense might abound? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Why does it say... Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Because without the law, had I not known the law, I had not known sin. 
So without the law, it was it, before the law, you could claim ignorance. You could claim, oh, I didn't know. Well, then once the Ten Commandments were etched in stone, you didn't have that excuse anymore. Okay? So moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. It, it would be even more obvious to us, our sinful state, even though deep down we still knew it was wrong. Okay? If, if we lived in that time. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness into eternal life, uh, unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6. What shall, then we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. So this kind of takes away the whole say a short prayer, live like the devil concept of getting saved. Now, if we're really dead to sin, there's going to be evidence of, of that we're dead. Does that mean we're going to walk around sinless perfection? No. Even Paul said, oh, what a wretch of a man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That that I want to do, I don't do. So, okay, he even said that. But, shall we say then, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, there's a difference between sinning and living in sin. Living in sin implies it's a daily deal. I'm just doing it. i got no conscience about it. And whatever. If the Holy Spirit's living, really living inside you, how are you getting away with that? You know? Know ye not? That so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death, baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, in reference to this, we're in reference to the body of Christ also. The body of Christ, which is, says what basically makes up the body of the believers. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into His death. Wherefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death. And, and, and see, baptism is a type of that. You take the person, and they're, they're living in the world, and then, you, and, then, and then they die. They die to self. They're, they're, they're baptized into the Jesus Christ's death, and this is what happened to Jesus. He was living. He died. He went into the earth for three days, and then he rose again. This is a type of what of baptism. This is the, this is the type of when we get baptized. Okay, baptized, raised from death into life eternal. Okay, that's what baptism is about. It's a figure, it's a type. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So if you see a Christian that's going around and he's living like the devil, how, how, has, how has his old man been crucified? that the body of sin may be destroyed. Because he's serving sin. The Bible says, By their fruit you shall know them. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin. And, and if you're to reckon yourself, this is something you have to do. You have to reckon yourself dead unto sin. But alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, I just want Him to be my Savior, not my Lord. Well, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't even talk about it being your Savior here. It's implied, but what's really implied is Him being your Lord. More even than, and than your Savior. If He's your Lord, then He is your Savior. See, really the Lord part is more important than the Savior, because if you have the Lord part, the Savior part is going to follow you can't just have the Savior part, though, and not have the Lord. It doesn't work that way. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. And a reigning would imply sin that was continual. It's all the time. It's reigning, like a king would reign on a throne. Because sin will eventually overtake you as a king reigning on a throne. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Yielding implies submission. I submit myself unto you, Lord. As those that are alive from the dead in your members are as instruments of righteousness unto God. Taylor, are you paying attention? as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Well, this is the, this is the verse you need to quote back to a Jew, a Messianic Jew. The Bible says ye are not under law, but under grace. If we're not under law, why, we, why do we got to obey all these feast days? Why do we got to do all these things and rigmarole they put themselves through? All these traditions of men that have made the word of God of none effect? That's dangerous to do that. You start putting... Here's why. You start putting your faith in these things. Where's grace then? If you're putting your faith in, in, a, in, a, in a festival, or I have to dress this certain way, I have to wear my beard this way, or I've got to do this or that, yes, you want to live holy, pure, and clean. Yes, you do. But when you start putting your faith in these man-made ordinances and things of this nature, then where, where is the grace? You've made the, you've made your traditions have made the, the word of God of none effect. What then shall we sin? Because we are not under the law, but under grace. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield your yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. So whoever you're yielding yourself to, that's who you're servant to. Whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be... Th and if anybody has any questions on, on any of these verses, just raise your hand or, or ask. You can ask. Um, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. 
So we were the servants of sin prior to salvation. But we have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered. Now see, the heart isn't always bad. Because honestly, that's how you got to get saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in thine heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. So it's very important. We have to have our, have our heart right is the key. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it says, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. So I don't want to just throw all the heart out because the heart's very important. It's just very important that it's right. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things thereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law. So she, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So that's how we're dead to the law, by the body of Christ. That ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. In other words, it's like you're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. That we should bring forth fruit unto God. See, there always should be a byproduct of this marriage, of the Holy Spirit living inside you. That is the fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. These types of things. And good works. There should be good works following. But the good works should not be what you're basing your faith on. Which is the problem with most people. They can't get beyond that. They, they just can't get that through their head. They, they just want to get into heaven on their own merit. I don't want to get into heaven on my own merit. I know I will fail. There's no way it's going to happen. <laughs> to me, this way takes a lot of pressure off me. <laughs> you know? This, this way that we're talking about, to me it seems liberating. I mean, it instills a sense of hope in me. I mean, if I was a Catholic, I'd always be wondering, am I a good enough Catholic? Am I a good enough Hindu? Am I a good enough Mormon? Will I make the 144,000 cut of Mormonism? What, are these, what Bible are these people reading? The Bible says that you've got to be a male virgin of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. How do you spiritualize yourself into the 144,000? 
Well, I don't know. It's my interpretation. Yes, there is a way with semen. Right? I know a man, but the end there of the ways of death. You're going to hell if that's what you're believing. For when we were in the flesh, the, motion, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. The letter meaning the law. The letter of the law. What shall we say? Is the law sin? God forbid! Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Uh, which... Concupiscence. Strong lust or passion. Concupiscence. Strong lust or passion. But by sin taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Because, because the law will always condemn you. Because it will always convict. Nobody's ever, ever been able to keep it. So see, what I see here is a lot of balance. Let's not get too far off crazy into thinking the law is terrible and that it's not any good, but let's not go far as to thinking that we got to keep the law in, 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 uh, of, of every letter in order to get saved. It's What Jesus has offered us is, a, is kind of like a balance, I guess, um, that we need to look at here. And it's through Jesus Christ. It's always through Him. Through faith, okay? And the commandment which was ordained to life, this is verse 10, I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me, which is ultimately will happen is if you live and die in sin, it will ultimately slew you, uh, slay you. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me, by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Now that's a little bit complex what it just said, but it said, but sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me. So, see, sin needs, the only way sin could appear sin is when the law came. That's how we knew it to be sin. And it worketh death. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. Carnal means fleshy. And is Paul's word for the Adamic nature. And for the believer who walks or lives under the power of it. Natural is his characteristic word for the unrenewed man. And spiritual designates the renewed man who walks in the spirit. So we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do not allow, for what I do, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. 
did Paul still have a problem with, with sin, even after he got saved? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. In other words, when he does things that he doesn't even want to do, he consents to the law that yes, the law points out sin. It is something that is good. It, it, without the law, I had not known sin. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Well then, just this is this sounds like a good ex- verse just to sin, just sin like crazy. Well, it's not me. The devil made me do it. Well, the thing is, is that we're still going to battle with sin. Okay? But it says, Then it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now Paul's saying this, not me. This you got to be careful with this verse, because you could get into that. Well, I can just sin like crazy, and you know, it's not me that's doing it, it's just sin that dwelleth in me. Huh, I'll blame the sin. Sounds easy. So, there's a note here that the Apostle personifies the strife of the two natures in the believer. The old Adamic nature and the divine nature received through the new birth. The I, which is Saul of Tarsus, and the I, which is Paul, the Apostle, are at strife. The two natures battling against one another. We're we're in no different boat than Paul. No different boat. Um... In chapter 8 of Romans, which we're going to get to, this strife which is taking place is effectually taken up on the believer's behalf by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul is victorious. Okay? So we'll get into that. Um, For that which I do not allow, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now that's after he got saved. He said that. So we still battle with the flesh. Even though we may be crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2.20, and we're buried in his baptism, and we're dead to sin... We still have to battle this. For to will is present with me. In other words, the will to do good is present in me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. This sounds like a pretty big struggle. This is Paul saying this. This is the guy that was that was stoned twice, killed, shipwrecked, beaten. You know, all these horrific things happened to him. And he's saying this, not me. How to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's a battle. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, 
more in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, from the body of this death? O wretched man that I am, probably the greatest apostle that ever lived, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Wow. Well, I'm not going to give this, let this be an excuse for me to live like the devil, but I do take some comfort in this, know that, knowing that I'm in pretty good company with any sin struggle uh, on a day-to-day basis that I might have. You know? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. What time is it now? 12.30, okay. I went quick. Um, okay, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day and all that you've given us. And Lord God, your goodness and your mercy and your grace, I thank you, Lord God, for, for Nonetta, Doug, and Lisa, God, for Taylor, for this time that you've given us. I pray, God, that um, Lord God, you would strengthen all of us, strengthen the body of Christ, open their eyes, Lord God, to the truth that your fear would be upon us and upon them. Lord God, that, that your name would be glorified through the body of Christ, that you would use us to lead many people to the Lord. For it's a will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I pray, God, that you bless this coming week, God, the remainder of this month, this year, God, that you would put us in a position, Lord God, to be your will of strength, that we would be prepared for the trying times to come, God. That you would prepare us in every way, shape, and form for the battles that are ahead. Body, soul, spirit, Lord God. For we can do nothing apart from you except fail. I pray, God, that these messages go out and and go to the people, God, that you want them to hear, God. I pray, God, that every evil entity that would try to oppose this prayer be bound up and rebuke God and if it be thy will cast into the abyss as Jesus cast Lord God evil spirits into the abyss I pray Lord God that you would be with us this coming week you would help us Lord God and strengthen us that you would give us the courage to do what we have to do what we need to do God that your name would be glorified through us and that you would help us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray all these things Amen if I'm not mistaken, I think that's both of you.